And we're back. This is Troy Miller on Waste of Breath Radio. It's our 25th episode here. Basically a meaningless... uh, That's arbitrary to me. Quarter of a hundred. Five times five. Uh, Whatever. You'd think I'd do something special or uh, prepare a little bit more, but here we are. As unprepared as ever. There's so much to talk about. I, you know, you have Betsy DeVos making a fool of herself again. Every time she goes, does a media interview, she does that. The gun debate is still... I don't, you don't, I never want to call it a debate because mostly it's people going, well, I think we should do this about guns. And then other people are going, you don't know what the hell you're talking about. And then you get nowhere. So that's... You know, it's, it's, it's bizarre when you can, when I'm having discussions with people where they're arguing that the purpose of a gun is not to kill. And I just really don't understand how anyone can argue that the gun wasn't, isn't designed to kill. You go back through Western history and, you know, basically, if you go to the 19th century the big innovation is rifling the only purpose of rifling is to make it a gun more accurate you go before that you have blunderbusses and muskets and a variety of gunpowder fueled projectiles but the the point of them is to kill you know they're improvements on the crossbow a crossbow is an improvement on the longbow. I'm no, I'm no expert on weapons history, but I, I have spent enough time studying history and studying military history to have a general idea of how this works. And the, the, the reality is the, the story of Western civilization is one of invention and warfare. And frequently, these one has driven the other. Even in the 20th century, the, the modern space race was essentially a, a race for warfare. Everything that was going on during that period was to make sure there was no arms gap with the Soviets. You know, the fact that people that, that 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 more people were fed or transportation improved it's, these are secondary things and it's the same thing now you know this is why you know uh, uh, conservatives and liberals alike will go oh this is why we need to keep on funding the the military because the military puts out so much research that then trickles into the uh, um civilian economy or boils over into the civilian economy and while that may have been true it is certain. I mean, now it's now that's nothing but a, a sales pitch. How much money is missing from the Pentagon, from the Department of Defense? Just in a black hole of well, you can't know that, and we're not going to tell you anyway. How far behind schedule is the F thirty five now? How much money over budget? How many mind control devices have been actually developed? You know, that's the thing. Everyone will talk about, yeah, you know, military spending. It brought us the space race. It brought us microwaves and Velcro and, you know, go go down the line. 
different various different materials you know our, our gel materials and things like this that we've gotten from the space program but there's also been a lot of failures and a lot of money lost a lot of lives ruined as a result of military research for the sake because military research isn't isn't basic research right it's already being you're already doing the application is there in the in the research pitch it's somehow going to give us a strategic advantage that's that's applied research that's no longer basic research that is what the argument is when people say you know look at how much research is done by the military and how much of it boils over into civilian into the civilian economy and into civilian day-to-day -day life gps for instance well yeah but the initial reason was was to give us a strategic upper hand. It wasn't just knowledge. It wasn't just research for the sake of research, which is where we'd probably start if we had more of that basic research happening. We'd probably be able to break out of the paradigms that we're locked in. As I mean, I, I think it was the last episode I sang, or maybe it was a few episodes before that. Most of our innovation over the last 150 year, 100 years um, has been very incremental. I, I, and I, I understand that basically science has become more specialized. You go back 200 years ago, people were, um, scientists would operate in a whole bunch of different fields. They were, and that was, you know, an easy enough way to be able to go look at how science is related. That guy's a chemist, biologist, precursor to neurologist. He he works with electricity and 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 whatever. Benjamin Franklin, Thomas Jefferson, these types, even in the, the Enlightenment, nineteenth century. You still have that to some extent. You know, Edison had worked in a ton of different things, and Edison's greatest and uh, uh, invention was the applied research laboratory or the research laboratory in general. So it's a long precursor and uh, speaking of wasting money here's a headline from Newsweek March 11th Ryan Sitt writes Trump could feed every homeless veteran for the cost of his military parade even conservatively estimated. Military showcase is initially estimated to cost ten million, uh, between ten million dollars and thirty million dollars, according to White House Budget Director Mick Mulvaney. That cost accounted for tanks rolling through Washington D.C. because he wants to be like France during the Bastille Day celebrations, I guess, or what occurs they are going on. Ben, uh, Ryan Sit writes, or what occurs in North Korea, China, and Russia. And other places around the world. I mean, it's just, I, I, I wrote on Facebook a little while ago, it's, we hold military parades and we win wars, and we haven't ended a war, well, since Korea. I mean, we're still actually, that's just a ceasefire. So we haven't been not at war. We haven't been in the time of peace since the 50s. And most of the, most of the time, we've also been engaged with illegal wars, um, certainly morally reprehensible wars and police actions, as they're sometimes referred to, to avoid having to go having to go through Congress, having to actually generate public will. And now we're seventeen years 
into our occupation of Afghanistan. And at this point, it is an occupation. Because we've been there for 17 years. You know, it's sick to think about, but at this point, some a, a child who was conceived or right before his father's first tour of duty in Afghanistan could now be serving on that same tour or on that same, you know, on the same routes, running the same routes. I don't know if they'd be talking to the same informants or if we've, you know, destroyed all of that goodwill. And what have we gotten to gain there? So this is why we don't get military parades, in my opinion. So if you go through the numbers, there were 40,056 homeless veterans in the United States in 2017, according to Department of Housing and Urban Development report published last December. Don't think about Ben Carson. But the finding marked a 1.5% increase from the 39,000 more than 39,000 homeless veterans in 2016, the first such increase in seven years. Again, we've been at war for 17 years in just one place. That doesn't even, that's not including our operations across Africa. It's not including the people who have been in Syria and Iraq. And those, again, those are the ground wars, right? That's the, <laughs> that doesn't, doesn't even account for the, the, um, the drone strikes and things like this and because people don't really think about people who are piloting our drones as as veterans it's just right they're basically just playing video games it's weird but they're killing on behalf of the united states government that we vested with the united states government so they're killing on the behalf of you and i so go through back through the veterans how many veterans there are more than 40,000. Feeding America found the average cost per meal in the United States um, is about $2.94 in 2015, the latest available data. We found a low in $2.04 in Maverick County, Texas, and a high in $5.61 in Crook County, Oregon. So it could, a $10 million military parade Mulvaney's lowest estimate, including tanks. And again, he's not getting the tanks. So why even have the parade at this point? But that could provide $249.65 for all 40,056 homeless veterans. Could provide each of those veterans 44 and a half meals priced at $5.61 a meal. The highest national cost estimate, according to Feed America. Enough for three meals a day for two weeks. 14.8 days. It's a myth that we don't have the money for these programs. It's just that it's being wasted. And I do. You know, I, I don't see how the military parade is not just a gigantic waste of money. And I say that, well, you know, I, I will say the same thing about most people's weddings. You know, if you want to show respect for your veterans, you don't throw a parade while 40,000 are homeless houseless, sleeping rough, whatever you want to call it. You just, it's, that, that it's, a lot of people may not actually ever hear that story that I just read, by the way, the, uh, about the military parade being enough to feed all of America's homeless veterans for two weeks. 
because local news anchors are being forced to deliver pro-Trump propaganda. This is Eric Levitt over at New York Mag. The nation's largest owner of local TV stations are using them as an excellent tool for disseminating propaganda. A group of conservative multimillionaires owns Sinclair Broadcast Group, and it's on the cusp of owning enough local television stations to reach 70% of American households. Every news station under Sinclair's umbrella is required to syndicate commentary that comports with its owner's ideological views. Over the past 13 months, this has meant regularly providing viewers with the insights of Sinclair's chief political analyst, former Trump spokesperson, Boris Epstein. It's also meant featuring analysis from conservative pundit Mark Hyman and updates from the Terrorism Alert Desk. Eric Levitz notes that it's a sensationalized coverage of recent terror attacks from around the world. This is being forced to be aired in all of, uh, uh, what, 70% of America's households will get local television stations that are forced to air this content? That's being presented as though it's local content. That's the, that's the, really the incredible thing. And now they're starting to encourage their pundits to just ceaselessly attack the mainstream the uh, legacy media, if you want to call it that, the traditional 24-hour so-called news networks. And I'm all for attacking them all the time um, because they're corporate beholden and they just simply won't cover anything and they're anything that will offend any of their advertisers at least because the main purpose of most of the 24-hour news networks, so-called news networks, is to keep you watching until the next Tide or Dawn commercial. It's to sell you laundry detergent. It's about the ad time. That's the only thing that keeps them going. With Fox News, it's about the ad time, but also about pushing a right-wing message. That's why they pay to make sure they're available on basic cable. Whereas MSNBC is a premium channel. Only accountable, only beholden to Comcast and their advertisers. So the Sinclair pundits are now being encouraged to just ceaselessly attack these guys. Which would be fine if Sinclair was honest about what it is. Another uh, uh, a network of affiliated networks across the country that are allowed to do their own local broadcast so long as it doesn't, one, conflict with what the Sinclair wants, Sinclair's line wants to be, and two, so long as they always air the commentary that Sinclair shoves down the pipe and air it as though it's local content. Why do people in Heartland America need to know about the terrorism alert desk? To keep people scared. And fear is the, is, the, is the largest currency among conservatives. It's why gun sales went down last year with Trump in office compared to 2016 because the gun manufacturers were able to exploit the fear of gun confiscations. It is the primary currency of the conservative or the so-called conservative movement. But I'll fearmonger too. No, I'm. Uh, this is not fearmongering. This is entirely too real. 
climate change is a forta- for disaster foretold, just like the First World, World War. This is a, Jeff Sparrow over at The Guardian. It's an opinion piece. It's really compelling. Um, the appeals to early 1914, Winston Churchill noted that, quote, the world is arming as it has never armed before. As early as 1898, Tsar Nicholas II of Russia initiated the conference to discuss international arbitration and limit the arms uh, arms race taking place in Europe. So all through, all up in the lead up to World War One, everyone could see what was going to come. Basically, they didn't know what was going to trigger it or how it was going to happen, but everyone was stockpiling, even as the leaders were telling everyone. We have to stop stockpiling. We have to really, we have to curb this, or else we're on our, we're on our way to disaster. Same thing with climate change, right? The appeals to humanity and reason did not move states jostling for trade and commercial advantages. For the people of Europe, the arms race was disastrous. For specific governments, it made perfect sense. Those who did not compete risked falling behind. Same might be said today of climate change. From a global perspective, I'm quoting from this article, from a global perspective, the necessity to abandon fossil fuels cannot be denied. But for individual economies, change risks undermining comparative advantages. This is part of the whole line that we're being lied, the lie that we're being sold in West Virginia. Actually, it's not even being sold to us anymore. With the co-tenancy bill being signed, they'll just take what they want. We're right back to, you know, every town now is a company town because with enough money and influence, your property rights are just taken. You know, never mind if you as as a gas and mineral owner, you know, you may think that you just want to hold on to that until the price is is a decent price to sell at. But no, your neighbors, they're antsy. So now they're going to go ahead and vote to sell up all, all sell their property, and you've lost the, your individual right, your freedoms, to decide when to sell if you want to sell at all. Never mind if you own a small plot of land and the natural gas company just buys up everything around you, or some um, subsidiary, some affiliate, some stooge for the natural gas company does the same. They can steal your property now. This is somehow good for the West Virginian economy because West Virginia would fall behind if we don't participate like this. And, you know, it's it's, as though for the last 150 years, all of that money that's it's been extracted in resources has come back. All of those resources that have been extracted have come somehow come back in the form of wealth for the people of West Virginia, it's bullshit. It's worth checking out the rest of that article, though. Burning coal may have caused wor- Earth's worst mass extinction. I've, I think I've talked about this and written about this before. New geological research uh, from Utah suggests the end Permian extinction 252 million years ago, one of the largest extinction events on Earth was mainly caused by burning coal ignited by magma. So the article 
This is Dana Nucitelli, who's generally very good over at The Guardian. Earth has so far gone through five mass extinction events. Where scientists are worried we're on course to trigger a sixth. I'd actually, I think sci most scientists argue that we're actually in the, we're, we're seeing a mass extinction event. Um, whether you, whether you're some sort of science denier who doesn't accept the basic premises of climate change, or not, you can look around and see that species are going extinct at a rate unprecedented outside of these other mass extinctions just whether you whether whether you want to yeah whether you want to deny the science the climate science um or not you can't deny the fact that species are going extinct faster than any point in human history and if you want to go ahead and try to claim that earth is five thousand years old that's fine that's print that premise still is true we are seeing rates of extinction unprecedented in human history. The deadliest one happened 252 million years ago at the end of the Permian Geological Period. In this event called the Great Dying, over 90% of marine species and 70% of terrestrial vertebrate species went extinct. It took about 10 million years for life on Earth to recover from that. been a number of uh, possible culprits proposed. Heavy volcanic Siberia is a... Uh, is heavy volcanic activity in Siberia is one of the largest ones. Um, collapse of the ozone layer, uh, asteroid impact, those are less likely. What's really been most convincing until very recently, and I've done extensive research into this. I've read the primary sources from a number of um, scientists. You know, it's like I was saying earlier, science has gotten very specialized now. So the most likely so far has always looked like um, heavy volcanic activity in Siberia, the um, Siberian traps. But Dr. Benjamin Berger identified a rock layer in Utah that he believed might have formed during the Permian and subsequent Triassic period. There isn't evidence that an asteroid struck at the time, right? There isn't the heavy metals, the rare metals that are associated with an asteroid impact. But they did find high levels of mercury and lead. Mercury and lead aren't associated with volcanic ash, but they are a byproduct of burning coal. This also explains a shift from heavier carbon-13 to lighter carbon-12. The Permian was the end of the Carboniferous period. So, all of these coal deposits that had been formed in the Carboniferous period, when there was all this plant life over Earth and it was moist, uh, the plant life died, decayed, became peat, the peat over time, as more plant life dies on top and the soil accumulates and all this, eventually becomes coal. And that coal was ignitable. Previous research has shown that the Permius mass extinction event didn't coincide with the start of the Siberian volcanic eruptions and lava flows, but rather 300,000 years later. That's when the lava began to inject as sheets of magma underground, where Berger's data suggested ignited coal deposits. We've brought it above ground. To ignite it. Man-made disasters. Speaking of man-made disasters, Hurricane Harvey. The Rolling Stone has a good article over, uh, came out at the end of February. Welcome to the age of climate migration. Extreme weather due to climate change displaced more than a million people in their homes last year. And that's in the United States. Right? It's not across the world. We're not talking about floods in Bangladesh. This is not about the polar bears anymore. This is about Americans. And it's not that I don't care 
please do not get me wrong. I value life of all forms. Other people don't. Other people do value American life over everyone else's life and certainly over the polar bears for some reason or another. So it's important now that we start pointing out that Americans are dying as a result of climate change. And by the way, Americans were always dying as a result of our addiction to fossil fuels. People are getting sick as a result of our addiction to fossil fuels. And frankly, our addiction to cheap fossil fuels means people are losing their jobs. Because as we switch from surface mining, and from underground mining in West Virginia to surface mining, which is much more machine intensive, people lost their jobs. Not only that, but now we're blowing up the tops of mountains to get to the coal that, by the way, we're now thinking might have caused the um, largest extinction in Earth's history. Um, to get that coal faster, we're blowing up the tops of mountains, poisoning the communities for miles and miles and miles around. Not just from the air, but from the mo- from the water. Anyway, I'll, I'll get. I'm going to come back to that air pollution. Hurricane Harvey, which hit Texas and Louisiana last August, cost 125 billion dollars in damage, dumped more water out of the sky than any storm in U.S. history. By one calculation, roughly a million gallons fell for every person in Texas. Water rained down on a flat former bayou that had become concrete and asphalt empire of more than 2.3 million people. Highways turned into rivers and shopping malls into lakes. As the water rose, people scrambled for a safe refuge into attics, onto rooftops, and overpasses. Texas game warden captured a nine-foot alligator in the dining room of a home near Lake Houston. Snakes swam into kitchens. A hawk flew into a taxi cab and wouldn't leave. More than 30,000 people ended up in shelters. Thousands more headed up Interstate 45 towards Dallas, where parking lots of IHOPs and McDonald's were full of desperate people wondering how their suburban neighborhoods had turned into water world. That coal were burning, I'll tell you. Every degree Celsius of warming leads to 6% more moisture in the atmosphere. All 55 counties in West Virginia were flooded a few weeks ago. About the same time all the teachers went on strike. Thank God for the teachers going on strike. It got brought some actual coverage to West Virginia and what we're capable of. What no one covered in the mainstream media was the fact that all 55 counties were under state, a state of emergency. There's a lot of people who lost their homes. Who aren't getting relief from the state government. Who aren't getting relief from the federal government. Because it's Appalachia. No one cares. This article goes on. Orange, Texas, the author learns, is an old industrial seaport near the Louisiana border. Population 18,643. The town has been hit repeatedly by recent hurricanes. In 2005, Rita ravaged the city. Three years later, Ike breached the city's levee and flooded the streets with as much as 15 feet of water. Three people died. People are moving out. $306 billion. I can't repeat that number enough. That's how much climate disasters cost the United States in 2017. Killed more than 300 people. After Hurricane Maria, 300,000 Puerto Ricans fled to Florida. 
Disaster experts estimate that climate and weather events displaced more than 1 million Americans from their homes last year. These statistics don't begin to capture the emotional and financial toll on survivors who have to dig through the ashes and flooded debris to rebuild their lives. Mental health workers often see spikes in depression, PTSD, and suicide in the months that follow a natural disaster. After Harvey, one study found that 30% of residents in flooded areas had fallen behind on their rent or mortgage. One in four respondents said they were having problems paying for food. How many of these people do you think were veterans and are now homeless and being ignored by the administration? While the administration tells you, we'll, put, we'll get you back to work. We'll keep on doing more of the same stuff that caused this. Air pollution linked to brain alterations and cognitive impairment in children. This is March 8, 2018, published over at Selvier, which is a medical journal. I'm reading this over at Medical Express. A new study in the Netherlands has linked exposure to residential air pollution during fetal life with brain abnormalities that may contribute to impaired cognitive function on, in school-aged children. The study, published in Biological Psychiatry, reports that air pollution levels related to brain alterations were below those considered to be safe. So this roll back those regulations even further. We're already we're causing brain damage in fetuses and the unborn already because our, our regulations aren't stringent enough, so why not just roll them all the way back, right? Who's this impact, aside from West Virginians? Right? Who's, who, who is hurt by air pollution? It's not, it's not Donald Trump at Mar-a-Lago. tell you that. To the poor, you know, St. Louis uh, uh, and Ferguson, that's, a, that's all industrial area. East St. Louis is all industrial. That's because they're poor. Why isn't there a power plant in Georgetown? Why isn't there a subway station in Georgetown? Because they're rich enough to be able to block any of that stuff. Rhonda Hamilton is a, uh, the advisory neighborhood commissioner for Buzzard Point area in Washington, D.C., she wrote an op-ed, D.C. development is leaving historic black communities in the dust. She writes, At the groundbreaking ceremony for the new Frederick Douglass Memorial Bridge on February 13th, D.C. Mayor Muriel Bowser and other city officials praised the project as a symbol of civic unity. There is no mention of how the bridge and the waterfront construction threatens the health of nearby African-American communities. My neighborhood west of the bridge in southwest Washington, again I'm reading Rhonda Hamilton's words, has been exposed to hazardous airborne chemicals for years. The construction will add more dust pollution, it will expedite the displacement of Berry Farm residents east of the bridge to make way for waterfront development. For nearly a decade, I've served as the advisory neighborhood commissioner representing 2,000 residents living near Buzzard Point. My community is combating environmental injustices and housing disparities. While we are grateful to those who stood beside us and volunteered endless hours to help us, city officials have been largely absent. Despite research, advocacy, and meetings with city agencies, we continue to take a back seat to development. 
Next time you enter Washington via the Frederick Douglass Bridge, look left. If the thick dust, diesel fumes, and truck traffic don't block your view, you will see our community tucked away beneath the smog. Look for our elderly residents who are afraid to cross the streets via cement trucks speed down the narrow residential roads. Wave to our children who have their inhalers attached to the hip so they can breathe while commuting to school. If you're walking, be careful to dodge the rats running from the construction sites and into our homes. 2016 Community Health and Safety Study was completed by the Health Department to address potential health and safety issues for communities near Buzzard Point. The study found that chronic lower respiratory diseases are one of the top five causes of death in the 20024 zip code and that the area has a higher death rate for lung cancer than the district overall. The study averaged health data from the entire zip code, not just that neighborhood. My constituents are primarily African American with a mean income of $32,000. The other 2,000, the other 20024 census tracts have significantly lower African American populations and mean incomes ranging from $131,000 to $159,000. Not surprisingly, the Buzzard Point Soccer Stadium Environmental Mitigation Study concluded the Buzzard Point residents qualify as potential environmental justice communities of concern. Yet despite the research and high rates of respiratory illness, heart disease, and cancer, the city closed the only health clinic in Southwest five months ago. Rhonda Hamilton writes, DC United fans, take some advice from us. Wear, da wear dust masks when you attend games this spring. Around the corner next to residents' homes is Pepco's massive substation with underground transmission lines. The closer you are to the station and circuits, the more exposed you could be to the electromagnetic radiation emitted. And that's one of those things that we really don't have a great, at least as so far as I know, um, the impacts of different spectrums of, the, of, a, of electromagnetic radiation. That being said, light is electromagnetic radiation. But we also know that ultraviolet light is cancerous. So it's not an easily dismissed thing. Corporate America Second Guessing Association with Mass Murder. This is over at Vanity Fair. It's a great headline. Companies are severing ties with the National Rifle Association and Mass. This is from February 23rd, and you know the, you know the story by now. We cannot wait for corporate America to take the lead on things, though. If we had to wait for corporate America to take the lead on every issue, and it, it you know, it's it's this is basically true, though. In order to get anything done and at the at, at congressional level, corporate America needs to be on board because, as the Gillens and Page study pointed out several years ago, um, rich people and powerful lobbying interests can get their will through uh, Congress. I think it's a better percentage than a coin toss, you know. And average people, it's just very unlikely that, you're, that, the, that the will of the people is going to be actually executed by our lawmakers. And that's a really important study. Um, I can't remember either of the author's first names. But Gillens and Page, I'll have to, I'll have to spend a whole episode just going through that study and the consequence. What, what, what we, what we can really take away from it. 
Finally. Cigna is buying massive pharma middleman Express Scripts for $67 billion in a move that changes the industry as we know it. Highlights from this article over at Business Insider. Cigna is acquiring Express Scripts, the largest standalone pharmacy benefit manager, in a $67 billion deal that includes $15 billion of debt. Express Scripts is one of three massive pharmacy benefit managers that help negotiate lower price. <laughs> I can't read that line with a straight face. These guys, they're expecting us to believe that they help negotiate lower prices for prescription drugs. They are terrible at their jobs. Um, the other two are OptumRx and CVS Caremark. The acquisition, which also brings a pharmacy benefit manager under the same roof as a health insurer, comes at the time when healthcare business is being redrawn by takeovers. By the way, CVS is trying to acquire Aetna, right? So that's CVS, Caremark, and CVS. So it all then they they'd have their whole vertical integration, and Cigna is trying to acquire their vertical integration. The next thing that they'd have to do is what acquire Walgreens or something, and then they we'd have basically two massive pharmaceutical monopoly. It's it's a duopoly at that point, and uh, but but from the insurance point to the pharmacy point, and we'd still see costs going up. That's the amazing thing. You can guarantee it. The 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 economic whizzes out there and the libertarian types who worship the market wait will tell you well the efficiencies will be passed on to consumers and you know it's one of those things where it's impossible to prove because you don't have a counterfactual. You can't prove that they that they. That it would be less efficient if if they didn't merge like this. But I can guarantee you, costs will not go down as a result of these mergers. I I went to call in, I went to pick up, or I went to try to figure out what the hell was going on with the prescription. And uh, I called first the doctor and said, hey, you know, what's going on with this? And they said they'd call CVS. So I call CVS and, hey, you know, what the hell is going on with this? And uh, they're going, well, you know, it's CVS Caremark system is down, so we can't get any estimates or anything like this or know how much you... I'm like, oh, of course it's the insurance company. That makes perfect sense to me. So I call CVS Caremark. Well, I know, I call, I call my insurance company. And they point me to CVS Caremark. And CVS Caremark explains that, yeah, all of our systems are down. And we can't do anything right now. Which, at first, you know, you get really pissed off because you're like, what the hell? I'm supposed to have this prescription and I'd like to be able to take my... And then, and then, yeah, then you stop and think and go, there are people with cancer right now who can't get their prescriptions. There are people dying because a private company just failed to do its job well. And I thanked them and apologized for being so brisk on the phone. And they uh, explained, no, it's a tech thing. I'm going, well, I'm a tech, I'm an engineer, so I understand this. I'm also amazed and astounded and yet, this is what happens when you have no real competition. You got a problem with Comcast? What are you going to do? Complain to Verizon? You got a problem with Pepco in, the, in here in the district? What are you going to do? They're natural. Well, I mean, Pepco is a natural monopoly. These are utilities that should really be 
regulated as basically, I would argue, in the public sector. They're natural monopolies that if we accept the profit motive as well, a primary driver of people's decisions and actions in capitalism, then you have to accept that uh, natural monopolies are very bad for the consumers and should be, you know, therefore... Hmm. Government operated. Now that being said, we need to be able to hold our government to a much higher standard. The last point I'll make, we saw in uh, West Virginia how the rank-and-file teachers, rank-and-file union membership, rejected the leadership's kowtowing and got a better deal for themselves. The American people need to reject being led by these think tanks, the lobbying groups like the NRA, and need to be reject being led by our politicians who tell us what's possible and what's not possible. And politics is the art of the possible. And no, you can't have that asking for tuition-free college and, and health care, Medicare for all being taken out of our payroll taxes and improved over what we have for our seniors already, those things aren't possible. You're asking for ponies. And the American people need to go, we, we can step up and say, it's our money, it's our votes, it's our power that we're lending to you, and we refuse to stand back and wait for corporations to decide what is economically popular and what will be passed through legislation. This has been Troy Miller, wasting my breath, reminding you that in order for it to be a democracy or a democratic republic, it involves the people, it requires all of us to be, you know, talking to each other, not alienating each other at the dinner table and all of this, not saying that guy supports that guy, so I can't talk to him or befriend him. There are more things than we realize that we agree on as a society. And if we stop letting ourselves be told what we can and cannot have with our money and our power and our votes, we can get a lot done. Remember to share, like, comment, criticize. You guys aren't doing a very good job of any of those things, but I believe in you. And tune in next time for Troy Miller's Waste of Breath. <laughs>